This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm sitting with Phil Odette, who is running for council. Thank you for joining me today, Phil. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Good to see you. You seem bright-eyed and bushy-tailed today. Uh, well, that's a, an illusion. I've, uh, <laughs> I woke up quite recently, and uh, yeah, no, but I'm ready. I appreciate that. You were at the All Candidates meeting yesterday, so uh, you're, you're, you seem ready to go. You're ready for the challenge. And uh, first question I ask uh, the candidates is, there's 22 of you. How are you going to be one of the six? What makes you stand out from the other 22 candidates? Oh, that's a great question. I actually am optimistic. This is uh, the most open race that I've participated in. This is the third time I've run. And uh, every other time, there's like three or four incumbents, and they're guaranteed a seat and over 20 people running. So every other time, it's been 20 of us fighting for two seats. So I feel there's about 20 of us fighting for five seats right now because there's you're, no you're, guarantees. You're assuming Doug Race is right in I, there. There's no guarantees, but Doug right. Race is pretty much a lock, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> you know it's amazing how everyone says, Doug Race, please run Doug Race, please, 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 because as the only incumbent, he's going to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone should underestimate how much work and uh, this, how steep the learning curve is in the, in the position. Right? So, and it's good to have so at least one person there as a mentor. Right. And so what makes you what makes you stand above the rest then since you're fighting now for five seats instead of two? I think what my commitment to the job. I don't have any kids and not a ton of work commitments. So if elected, I can pretty much make the position my full-time position and everything else can be periphery, which I think is what the position uh, demands. Uh, too bad the pay is not like that. No, the pay is not like that. But I'm driving taxi, so I've talked to my boss and I'll be able to work two or three days a week on top of my uh, job as counselor and uh, I think that'll pay the bills I mean I'm not going to be uh, going on big vacations or <laughs> you know nothing <laughs> extravagant but uh, I think I can serve uh, in a in a full capacity well, that brings me up to my first question then in regards to employment in town in regards to keeping employment and the cost of living and housing we call this the chicken and the egg question mm. and because they're trying to fix the economy diversify the economy a little bit via maybe bringing in new business or, or sort of fixing the housing market so it'll be, it's more affordable um, but then if you're bringing more business you need more housing you got to fix the housing so you can bring in more business where, where do you start great question i mean uh, honestly it's a right now what we've got ourselves into is uh, is where the development and the and the real estate is kind of fueling everything. I mean, we got people, uh, most people that can afford to live here are people in the trades. So it's kind of contingent on us building more and keeping these people, keeping more firewood for the fire. It's a, not a very good position to be in. I mean, it's a, it's not a very long term. We can look at it in the next five years and have our 10 years and, oh, we got lots of building. That's great. What happens when the uh, housing market uh, drops and people can't afford these million dollar mortgages, which I see uh, on a clo on a close horizon coming? Yeah, I mean, this, the housing market has slowed down a bit. And, you know, you just wait till the Bank of Canada decides to raise interest rates by a percent. Yeah, yeah. Or half a percent. Anything like that is going to be huge. Or wait another uh, mudslide across the highway and it's closed for a week or two and people suddenly can't get to work. I mean, suddenly, I mean, it's going to um, bring up a lot of interesting problems for sure. And so what are you talking about then for diversifying the economy? So you want to bring in new business or it's, uh, it's a question of uh, managing our growth? Uh, I think it's both. I think uh, bringing in new business could uh, is definitely something we want to do. That's a big thing for job. We want better jobs in town. So we want to make a fertile environment for new businesses to uh, set up and, uh, and dig in here. So uh, if that involves like tax breaks for providing a certain amount of jobs to these businesses, anything to make it appealing for them to come here and set up here would uh, start. Yeah. 
So how, how do we give them these, these incentives though? And that, this is a question I asked too. It's like, you want to bring up business here, but I think the way we're taxed uh, as is, I think we would want as much tax revenue as possible. So giving tax incentives might be a bit of a stretch with some, some people. To me, it's like a, if you're providing X number of jobs, you're a great steward for our community, then I think we can probably uh, look and give you a, a break for the first five, 10 years if your business is in town. But uh, there's a lot more uh, asks for the budget than there are yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this this is why about bringing business in and getting more tax money it would help with sort of the infrastructure that we're that we so, sorely needed, like Brandon Park and like fire halls and, and so forth. We've got a lot of residents, and they're all paying a lot of tax. So, I think that's that should be a, enough of a base for us to uh, to balance the budget for now. I mean, we need to look ahead too. I mean, like you said, Brandon Park is something that's that's going to be a, a big need in the, in the very near future. I mean, uh, for a town that's growing as fast as we are in Canada and to only have one hockey rink. It's strange. I think that's a big thing because I, I'm fully supporting another rink and a, a huge upgrade to Brenna Park. Yeah, having a second ice sheet. I mean, there's there's development there. Um, there's potential there for bringing in hockey tournaments and doing and doing more in the realm of um, well, local sports because they, that brings in revenue somehow when you have more teams coming this way and having tournaments to come this way. I mean, that's a source of revenue. Uh, but then the, the cost is is what well, we're talking about a hundred million dollars, right, for everything. Uh, yeah. From what I've heard about the uh, another sheet of ice is about twenty seven million, but they're talking up to uh, hundred million for all of Brenner Park. That, that is a lot of money. But uh, I think we're going to thank ourselves if we uh, if we invest in in that sort of a that, that sort of project. So moving forward, then bringing more money into the community. What about LNG? What's our status with LNG in your mind? Well, I don't want to close uh, my mind to any idea. I mean, talk to some people and they're like, there's not any way it's happening. And then the other people that say it's happening and get used to it. So we need to uh, we need to be strong with them and get as much from them as possible. From my understanding, it's the province that sets the tax rate from them. And uh, they kind of just off the cuff were like, okay, what was it, two or three million a year we're going to be paying. So, Well, th this is because they want security. The The assessment came in at six to ten million. Oh, is that, yeah. and, and so, and there's, but they wanted to offer two to three million because we weren't at the table for the last four years, right? Yeah. We, we were not really active participants. So we go and sit down with them and say, listen, we want our assessment. The only issue I find with LNG is the fact that who's going to make that assessment? They're one of a kind thing, right? It's completely unique, yeah. So how do you go and make that assessment? And how do you go and say, all right, I want my $6 million? That's where having uh, people that have experience in council and having a good staff really comes in handy. You just have to have the strength and conviction to say, hey, you're setting up a heavy industry in our community with a pump station that runs right through our town. It's a risk, and uh, financial return is the best way to kind of show that you're in invested and interested in helping our town. But we definitely need to get somebody at that table and get some money out of them. Well, it's going to, yeah, it's uh, some, we're going to have to lock horns. It's going to be some tough negotiations, but uh, yeah, we need, we need to fight for every dime. And also it's a question of leverage too, I think, because we haven't been at the table for the last four years that uh, we, we, we can't be going in there demanding every, like, you know, everything, but I think we should, you're right, lock horns and sort of get what we need to do. Well, it's a case of, you know, and my, my mama said back in the day that if you want five bucks, you don't ask for three, you ask for 10. You know what I mean? Like you ask for way more than you think you're going to get. Classic negotiation. 
right? They, so you come in high, they come in low, and they meet in the middle somewhere. When you're looking at downtown and the densification of downtown and the OCP, how do you, do you feel that the, this we're going the right way? I mean, or some sort of amendments you'd like to make along the way? Uh, I do like that. I like the way we're filling in downtown and uh, protecting our out space, outer spaces. Uh, OCP is it's great. It, it's just that we're going too fast. Do you know what I mean? Like they said, they said the OCP thirty four thousand downtown immediately. All the property values shot up. Places started getting bulldozed. It felt like right. So uh, we're trying to do what the OCP envisioned for the next thirty years. We're trying to do it in the next five or ten years because the market is hot which is, I think, a mistake, right? So. Right, because the developers are coming and knocking on the doors. Well, there's a lot of money to be made in Squamish. That's the thing, right? It's, uh, but does it benefit the general population at the time, or is it someone, uh, like a small group, lining their pockets quickly and then getting out? Right, so. so what do you do with downtown, then, if you're densifying and you're building in all these businesses and it gets all, like, you're looking at six-story buildings and all the sight lines are gone, you can't see the chief anymore, and then you only have one way in, one way out. <laughs> well, the one way in, one way out's a problem. I mean, with the uh, Nexon Beach, there's, there's supposed to be a, another access point uh, right away, and we need it. I mean, you got the density that we're putting in is kind of like the west end of Vancouver, but the west end of Vancouver doesn't have a train that runs through. And, you know, I mean, that's a real problem if there's an emergency downtown and the train's running through, which isn't a completely uh, crazy uh, possibility, right? That very easily could happen. And that could be serious. A big fire downtown with a train running through? Like, I don't want to... I don't want to be downtown when that happens. Right? So how about uh, how do we alleviate that that pressure then? I mean, yes, we need density. Infill is good, so we don't have that sprawl. But how do we re relieve that pressure? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. The downtown is a good uh, is a good start. What, what we're doing downtown is great. It's going a little fast, in my opinion, with projects like Jumar. Like I talked to uh, uh, people of Squamish, and people are afraid. Not so much of the density, but it's just the cost of living is is all of a sudden doubling and. We're not. We're getting less for that cost of living than we were ten years ago, five years ago. That's a very scary, sobering thought for people that have been here a long time. So how do how do we fix that? <laughs> how do we fix it? How do we fix it? We basically the market kind of is driving uh, the density and the economy and the uh, the growth right now, right? So it's scary. We need to dig heels in and uh, and make sure that any developer coming in has a really attractive uh, amenity package with a lot of inclusivity and a lot of uh, community sort of uh, feel to it. Right. I don't know how else we control that. I mean, it, the people coming to Squamish are going to, people want to live here. It's, uh, and I understand that. It's a great place to live, but we got to keep it a good place. In terms of policy and bylaws, then, if they could start, they're looking at maybe doing a bit of a, a change in how we do business when conducted with the developers. We say, listen, when you come in, you have to do X, Y, Z or shuffle on. I think so. Let's see you, that you've done your homework and that you uh, you know how our community works and, and what the people of this community are looking for. Uh, and then we'll do business with you. I mean, it's, uh, things have changed a lot in the last four years and five years. It's uh, kind of we're on our heels a bit. It's almost damage control at this point. Right. Are, you, are you saying that the previous government just... I, I wouldn't say that. I'm not faulting the previous government. I think they did a good job. They basically reacted to uh, the environment, right? And this is what we have right now, right? So we have one person returning as a counselor, potentially. So, I mean, that it makes uh, for a difficult problem. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah. a, it's tough. 
But there is room to grow. I mean, there is some spaces to grow. Oh, there's, yeah. there's been talk about rezoning uh, industrial into residential. And then also we have the Chima lands. Do we start? Chima lands. we got the uh, Chikai fan. We've got a lot of uh, places, right? And Britannia is going to develop right away. There are neighbors. So, yeah, there's lots of stuff coming up for the next council. Uh, it's going to be a hard, it's going to be a tough uh, ride for them. But you're saying definitely a priority should be commercial space then? I believe so. I mean, uh, we need more places to eat, more small business. We're tremendously underserviced. But that just brings up another problem, too, is that... Employment. Employment, yeah. See, And I hear a lot of these businesses saying, okay, well, we can't get people to work in our town. As a, I work as a cab driver, so in the service industry, everyone I know that's in the service industry is overworked, ex- is stressed out, working lots of jobs, and barely surviving. So we need to bring the conversation to how do we raise the quality of living for these people so that they can actually come and afford to live and participate in our community. Yeah, so that would bring, like, cost of living, so rent. I mean, we have a zero, zero rent market right now, so... Uh, how would you do to sort of guide the rent market back to, you know, someplace where it's manageable for our, our, our service industry to live a quality life? Well, I don't know. One thing, I, I think we need to go after the short-term rentals a little bit. Uh, it's not a mystery who they are. But, I mean, you hear Gregor Robinson talk about, oh, we're going to tax these or find these people. That's, um, and, uh, and we need to change the language. It's like we need to tax them as if they're running a hotel. And then we put that money towards affordable housing initiatives. I mean, uh, if it's a blanket tax, it's fair for everyone. So you, you pass the savings on to your uh, your renters, your Airbnb customers, and then we can use that money and uh, maybe put it towards some affordable housing initiatives, anything like that, right? There's, but that's there, that should be money that the community is, uh, is uh, recouping. Yeah, I mean, that means you have to tie into Airbnb. Uh, a story that I heard in Tofino, it was this one thing. Uh, in Tofino, they tried the same thing with the Airbnb. They basically sort of, out, not outright banned it, but they went and sort of shut it down. One issue was is that they found that people rather not have renters. they rather have the short-term rental. Otherwise, forget it. They didn't have any rent. So that, that can go either way, I think. Of course. I mean, uh, you've all heard the story about the, the tenant that the, the landlord can't get rid of because it's, uh, it's really hard to get rid of a, a tenant sometimes, right? So, so that's, uh, that's less attractive to some people who own property than actually uh, not having anyone. <laughs> so. I guess it's just trying to find that balance then. Yeah, well, that's it. It's a work in progress, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's finding the balance. But that's well, something that's happening all along the West Coast of North America. Anywhere desirable to live, this is the problem right so we need to look what other communities are doing try to copy them maybe yeah try and find fine-tune a, a program that can work for us i mean there's been talk of a housing authority too creating a housing authority here in squamish to sort of regulate that but um i for me i'm, I'm a little bit pessi- not pessimistic it's I'm, dubious yeah when it comes to how i don't like extra layers of government right mm-hmm. and so um and they everyone points to the whistler housing authority being the the the, the fix it but holy I mean, grail of of, of housing authorities, yeah. but they, they've had their issues, right? And so I, if for it to fit Squamish, I don't know. Um, I, I would have to see how that it's implemented, but I'm not the one going to be doing any of those implementations. Well, you, you will yeah. be if you're elected. Yeah, and I'm really interested in that stuff for sure. Pardon me, we're not reinventing the wheel here necessarily, but we can look at what Whistler has done with their housing authority for the last 15 years. We're at a similar stage to what maybe what Whistler was at 15 years ago, right? So we can look and see how they've progressed. And uh, I mean, not perfect, but at least they're trying, right? So, I mean, yeah. Speaking of Whistler, we have an acclaimed mayor in there, uh, Jack Crompton, and he's been uh, willing to, to discuss or talk with us about certain issues. Uh, for example, transit. Um, I know a lot of initiatives are in place in terms of, of transit. Uh, it's just what, what else would you like to see 
with Whistler? Like, what kind of arrangements would you like? What kind of dealings would we like to see with Whistler? Well, for sure, Transit's one thing. I mean, we need to work with TransLink, get the uh, city buses up here. If you go to Vancouver Island around uh, Victoria, you can take buses all the way up to Duncan, all over the place, right? So if they can do it on the island, why can't we do it here? And as far as I'm concerned, I mean, Vancouver pays the extra 10 cents TransLink tax. We're paying it here anyways. We're, our price of the tank is uh, one a cent or two less than in Vancouver. So or no sometimes one, par. Yeah, and no one talks about that. But the gas stations are gouging us. And it's kind of a, the classic case of political hot potato where it's like, oh, well, that's not our mandate. That's a provincial government or the federal feds that should be looking into that. Well, I mean, that's money out of all our pockets and tourism dollars that are coming uh, in through town and getting gouged. Right? Yeah, gas tax is, is a thing. I, everyone says about gas tax, take about five cents for us uh, through these companies. But there's always a risk. Charge these guys five cents gas tax. There's nothing stopping these stations here from raising their prices two or three cents to sort of offset that, right? Well, yeah, that could happen. But I don't see us going higher than Vancouver necessarily, right? But I mean, I go to Lillooet and they're 10 cents cheaper than us. And I say to myself, like, okay, I just drove over this mountain range. And, you know, and the gas is 10 cents cheaper here. So, you know what I mean? Well, so yeah, it's it proper gouging. I'm not denying it's proper gouging. I'm just saying if we put in a gas tax, there's nothing stopping them from adding a couple extra cents just to offset some of that tax. Yeah, we might as well take their gouge money though that's the way i look at it you know and if they want to continue to gouge it's just going to look bad on them and maybe it's going to cause a public outcry enough that we can have a political response to it i would hope and it comes down to like going to a uh, was it the competition committee or, or something of the sort to basically get them to, hey stop it yeah well <laughs> uh, don't get me started on the oil companies and it's a free market after all right it is it's, uh, except all those big companies are subsidized so how free is it you know what i mean like you know that's another question and another <laughs> no, whole other podcast another rabbit hole yeah we another. do not want to go down that rabbit no, hole no, no. But also speaking with relationships with Whistler, there's one project that's sort of in the works that uh, is a big no-no for them, which we might be considering in the near future, at least the next couple of years, is GAS, Garibaldi at Squamish. Actually, now there's just Garibaldi Squamish. They hate that acronym, GAS. <laughs> Actually, they're looking at changing their name altogether. Yeah. Where do we, where do you stand on that project? Is it a go, no-go? Oh, geez. I'm standing right now on thin ice after you asked me that question. I'll tell you. <laughs> I see that as the, the big issue of this council and this election, really. That's uh, uh, I'm not underestimating it. I don't want to close my mind to anything, but I just don't like it in its current inception. But from my understanding, they've been trying to play nice with Squamish, and uh, they, they kind of want to be able to do it on a provincial and federal level. They need to annex with us. They need to be part of us. we got to be careful that we don't do something kind of like the casino, where we say, no, 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 we can't work with you at all. And then it gets green lit, and they go on their own, and we don't see any tax benefit or any benefit from it going forward. Right. So it's a very delicate issue. I'm not at all supporting it in its current inception like 22,000 beds over 20 years like uh, you think we have uh, congestion on the highway now like you know wait till that goes up right this well I mean if you're looking at a project that big I'm sure you can go to the province and say hey I need to put something here to help alleviate some of that volume and also if we have a transit program then hopefully that alleviates some of the issues as well my big red flag with that project is the fact that you know they're looking to develop on slrd lands or, or regional lands and they don't want to like the region has made it clear we're going to make your life hard mm -hmm. uh they don't like the idea of uh, being a resort municipality uh they, you know the province didn't give them good um good vibes on that so it's like hey let's join up with squamish mm -hmm. so this is where i think okay well why? Yeah, yeah, no. So they're like, well, at least if we have uh, Squamish's blessing in all of this, 
then we can push it forward. But there's been so many different inceptions in this, and it does feel like th there's a lot of a money behind it, right? So that's a that's kind of the, the scary thing, right? It's a, a money sets policy, right? So we I think we need to really be firm in our stance with them, right? If, if you really want to build it in that capacity, I mean what isn't the benefit for us like how much are we going to get out of that besides a lot of a lot more work a lot more jobs which we if you look around Squamish, we don't need more uh, building jobs i mean that's i mean sure we could use more jobs for everyone but more building jobs is just uh fueling the economy that we were talking about earlier where it's just uh development is fueling our whole town well, I mean, if you're looking for diversity in economy, if you're looking for more money to be injected into it, I mean, a project like this would definitely bring in more tax revenue. Well, 100 percent. It's a huge cash cow as far as the money goes. Uh, you have to look at it in a more bigger sense, though. I mean, this is a really uh, invasive, huge project. And from uh, under my understanding and talking to a lot of people is a uh, the environmental costs are huge. And not only that, I mean, if you uh, if you look at it uh, from last time I checked, like the water is a big issue and uh, water doesn't run uphill, it doesn't pump uphill. Right. Yeah. It's so so they need uh, enough water for 22,000 beds. Yeah. That's going to be a huge draw on the environment, the surrounding environment. Well, they're, they're doing a huge uh, environmental assessment. They're talking about uh, drilling for aquifers. So, I mean, they're doing all the right things. So all these questions are, are sort of um, working themselves out working themselves out because they're doing their best to do so. It's a question of, of what they're really coming up with. <laughs> yeah. And then it also comes down to when we get the land from the, like we have to make a land swap at some point, right? They're not just going to give us the land for free. So, I mean, we're going to have to pay for that land. So is, is this a question for council or is this is a question for the people? Should we have a referendum on this? I'd like to see a referendum on this, to be honest, because in my mind, it's a very divisive feeling around town. But for the most part, people aren't interested in the air bully at Squamish. And it actually generates a, a lot of hatred. <laughs> you, you bring it up with people and uh, it raises the ire of a lot of people. Right. right. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I like to look at things from uh, all points of view. Like for my from my uh, point of view, like I, I look at Worcester. If I want to go ski in Worcester, this the day pass there is going up to one hundred and eighty dollars. Right. Ridiculous. Actually. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So let's say I had a family. I live in Squamish, and these guys are going to put a hill up, and it's going to be kind of like uh, I, I don't know. It's a eighty dollars or something. I don't even know. It's, it's going to be like one of the mountains on the North Shore there, right? Maybe sort of thing. Well, that's kind of that's attractive, right? In, in that sense, right? For sure. Uh, the twenty-two thousand beds and all the hotels and golf courses that I don't find as attractive, right? So right. I mean, so just a hill. Yeah, just a little ski hill would be great. I mean, <laughs> from my understanding, there are actually some old lifts up there. Uh, because oh, the, yeah, uh, they were built in like the 70s. Or yeah. The 60s or 70s. You or well, it gives you an idea of how long this like, air ball day at Squamish. Well, there's, there's a couple of lodges out there that the snowmobilers currently use, right? Yeah. And um, and this is not just a ski hill. They're looking at doing an all-resort thing. And they've already planned out their maps and their trails down. And it, I think it's a question at this point of getting Sorka involved. I think if Sorka wants to get in on there, I think it'd be... Uh, it, 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 that would do a change. lot of, yeah. People that would do a lot of positive change for them, them yeah. if they could get. But that's the crux of the whole issue. If they getting Sorka, because a lot of those Sorka people are really, I think, vehemently against the project, from my understanding. Well, they've and done a lot of work with trails around here, right? So, it, like you know, the Chima lands up that way, and all the trails around. They've worked diligently for that. So, to put in a resort and sort of capitalize on what they've built, I think, I can see them being a little hesitant. But yeah. um, still. You can't ignore that there is a potential revenue. What my also another concern I have, like my two big concerns, is why do we have to be part of this? Why can't they do it on their own? And the second is infrastructure, right? Like twenty years down the road, when the buildings start getting a little old in the tooth or long in the tooth, who's who's holding the bag then? 
as well other infrastructure needs too like for instance uh, how many kids are going to need to come to our schools from there uh, things like that which are our schools are already kind of like bursting at the seams and you know, other things too like hospital etc right are they building a hospital up there because if it's a ski access. hill yeah if it's a ski hill there's going to be a need for, you know people are going to get hurt right so it's going to be a more a more of a strain on our uh, hospital and uh, ambulance services etc right so uh, yeah, it would be tax revenue, but not not just um, free money, right? True enough. And I mean, I've seen the plans. I mean, uh, there's uh, the plans look beautiful, right? For sure. It's like a walk. It's a no cars up there, and they've got a monorail going between the three little villages and stuff. And I mean, it uh, looks pretty. It does look pretty. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. They've done a good job trying to sell it to the general public for sure. So, what, what's your pet project? If you get on council, what, what's <coughs> namely what do you want to bring forward? What's the biggest issue in your mind? Yeah, I mean, just the general need for regular people to be on council. I, uh, I just like, I just think we need to dig our heels in and uh, just try to try to make a t- town as. Uh, it feels like we're we're moving away from the, uh, this nice harmony that Squamish has always been, and it's uh, it's becoming more of like a disharmony right and so we need to move more towards that move back towards the, the values that made squamish what it is like say respect and squamish is a place where you know your neighbors you say hi to people right so in that vein i do see like our congestion being a problem so i'd like to work with the transportation and try to get that bus service up here and other safety issues for instance i live downtown and i drive a lot it's getting busy downtown and it's a matter of time before we start seeing like uh maybe pedestrian uh injuries or deaths right and one of the, one death too much so i'd like to see say something like uh, a blanket speed limit of 30 throughout all of downtown and i've talked to a lot of people and people are like hmm that's not a bad idea because you don't need to drive through downtown faster than 30 kilometers an hour. You can get from one end to the other in three minutes, you know? So something like that. Like safety. Especially around the Jumar area and the Buckley Avenue. I mean, it, it, that just looks like with kids all around in the morning and all that extra traffic and congestion. Yeah, you're right. It, one accident, and then we're going to go, uh-oh, we need to fix that. And yeah. we want to do that before we have that uh-oh. One, yeah, one uh-oh is too much. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't care if it's an 85-year-old old lady or a little kid, anyone. We, you know, every all our uh, citizens are valuable, and we need to, to protect them. That should be fundamental, right? So 30 kilometers an hour, I think, is more than acceptable, right? So, I mean, I see people just burning red lights, stop signs, you know? Like, well, I've seen the stop sign bit. Just And people are impatient. It's the, it's that Vancouver driving that now is coming here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a, Squamish isn't made for that. So is there anything I haven't covered that you want to you wanna hit me up with? Oh, uh, I mean, you did cover the Chima lands. Just the way that the proponent has uh, engaged the community on it is, to me, is a problem. The uh, Chikai fan. See, I mean, I love uh, anything that where we can work with the Squamish Nation and partner up with them for positive things. Sure. Legitimately, I really want to look at the dike that they're proposing. And is it a real dike? Is it something that's going to stop this uh, supposedly crazy flow? Or is it something that they're just ornamental that they're building so that they can get the green light and uh, build these, what is it, 1,200 houses or lots? And is it going to be 1,200 more uh, unaffordable houses? Like, are we talking another giant crumpet woods here with $1.5 million houses that all well and good, and it's a great source of income, but is it? are we creating gated communities where people don't actually live there? Well, how do people get in touch with you, Phil? I have a Facebook page. Uh, phone me anytime, uh, 604-848-8487. I've got email. It's all uh, on the uh, civic web if you go on promise.ca. Love to hear from anyone. Any questions? It's engage with the population. Well, thanks for doing this, Phil. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was uh, actually quite painless. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, man. Cheers. Cheers. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on 